Weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thank you for joining me. We all know Florida is America's winter playground, but this seasonal tourism started as far back as the 19th century. During the Gilded Age, wealthy northerners would arrive by train to escape the cold and spend their days soaking up our plentiful sun. However, sunshine was not the only reason to flock to our shores. Apparently, there's something in the water. The minerals percolating in our natural springs offer medicinal benefits, and many people came here as a retreat with a promise of restorative health. These pristine waters were promoted as an elixir to heal almost anything, from kidney disease to typhoid, and the supply seemed endless as Florida was overflowing with springs. They say there's at least a thousand. Some people claim there's more. You know, it's hard because some of them are ephemeral. You know, they only flow when there's a, a big rain event. And some of them are actually underneath surface water. So you only find them when there's times of drought and the surface water goes down and the water from the springs shows because it bubbles up and there's no, you know, the weight of the water on the surface actually holds some of the springs down and you can't discover them. So there's at least a thousand. It's the largest array of freshwater springs any place in the world. That's Rick Kilby, author of Florida's Healing Waters, Gilded Age Mineral Springs, Seaside Resorts, and Health Spas. He's also a graphic designer and owner of Kilby Creative, Inc. In his book, Kilby investigates Florida's Victorian-era watering holes that drew large numbers of health seekers from faraway places and how this tourism boosted the economy for modern Florida. Kilby grew up in Gainesville, swimming in springs and swamps, so I thought this might be where his fascination began with these magical watering holes. It really came about because of the first book that I wrote, which was called Finding the Fountain of Youth. And I tried to trace how the Fountain of Youth had been used throughout Florida history from Ponce de Leon's arrival up into the 20th century because there were so many places throughout the state that claimed to be the Fountain of Youth. And it was really kind of a treasure hunt where I just found places that claimed to be the Fountain of Youth from St. Petersburg to St. Augustine, and then anything related to Ponce de Leon. And a lot of the springs, at some point or another, if they were commercially developed, claimed to be the Fountain of Youth. The other thing that happened when I was working on that book is that I got involved with a bunch of people who were working to try and protect our springs. And it kind of opened my eyes to this whole other world that was out there. And it reminded me of the connection I had when I was a kid, when I used to go swimming in the springs more often. Now, for those not aware of Florida's deep, deep history, Florida was once under the Spanish rule, then the British, back to the Spanish before becoming a U.S. territory. But it really wasn't until that brief British rule that Florida began to develop. What do you think the British saw in this state that the Spanish did not? They saw the potential to develop kind of a plantation economy like they'd had done in Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina. So they started along the St. John's River and they started trying to appeal to people in Britain to come over here and to establish these plantations. And, you know, they, they saw it more as a commercial enterprise than the Spanish did. The Spanish were really just trying to use Florida to protect their conquests in other parts of the world. You know, they, they used the Gulf Stream to get back to Europe and they to protect their ships. They needed Florida 
you know, as kind of a, a strategic point more than anything else. Well, Britain really saw the commercial opportunities here and they tried to grow rice and indigo and all these other crops along the St. John's River primarily and really encouraged immigration where the Spanish really never did. Do you think they brought the concept of the healing waters from the old Roman bathhouses? Surprisingly not, because there were, were a lot of spas in England, you know, like Bath, for instance, the, the best example, and Cheltenham. And there were there were mineral springs that had spas around them throughout the continent. The best example we have is William Bartram, who came here initially with his father, John, who is the botanist for King George. And they came across several springs and they complained about how stinky they were. But you know, 50 years later, when it was an American territory after the Spanish had turned it over, they'd come across the same stinky springs and think, wow, this is a great place for a spa. Let's put up a big building here and try and bring tourists down to be healed by, from the mineral water. So they, I don't think they ever saw the potential. I think they really were kind of had a one track mind where they wanted to have these big sprawling plantations like work so well and you know further north in South Carolina and North Carolina. Now people often say back, you know, back in the day, you know, I never paid for water. We drank out of the garden hose, which <laughs> I mean honestly, I did drink out of the garden hose. But in truth, bottled water has been marketed for centuries with these false claims of medicinal benefits that cure kidney ailments, liver, typhoid, gastric, lung problems. These were bold statements. Were there any kind of regulation or would you just classify it as slick marketing in the in the gilded age it was really kind of the era of patent medicine so you could say anything you want i mean snake oil say you know you've heard of snake oil salesman there was really snake oil and you know it had stuff like mercury in it and heroin and all this cocaine and all that crazy other stuff so you could buy mineral water at the pharmacy as a cure some of the water from springs, like Hampton Springs mineral water, was sold at pharmacies in Atlanta. Yeah, I've seen, you know, I've seen ads in newspapers from Atlanta where they, you know, it was a big deal back then. So I don't think there was any regulation. The FDA started to come into existence early in the 20th century, and then you started to see more regulation. And there was a place, uh, Safety Harbor, where the water was bottled, and they made these outrageous claims, and they got in trouble with the FDA, and then they kind of shut it down. But that wasn't until later in the 20th century. But in the 19th century, you know, there were no rules, basically. Do you think there was any merit to this spring water phenomena? I mean, really, at its at its basic core for a healthy lifestyle, A, you need to be hydrated, you need to have a good diet, you need to have exercise. So, I mean, part of it, we do need water, but is there any merit to this spring water and the minerals that are in it? I, re- I really do believe there is because... They, the springs that appealed to people who developed those places were springs that had high quantities of mineral, you know, the stinky water. So it had sulfur and some had high amounts of iron and other minerals. And, you know, I take vitamins with minerals every day. So it, it seems natural that you could absorb them through your skin or from drinking them. So I do believe there's something. The other thing is the whole notion that we know to take care of ourselves, that exercise and diet is really important, was really new at the end of the 19th century. People like John Harvey Kellogg, who I write about in the book, helped to perpetuate this whole novel idea that going outside and breathing fresh air and exercising and moving around and eating a healthy diet that actually, you know, made stuff move around inside your gut that just wasn't meat and potatoes was good for you. And I think 
that's important and drinking a lot of water. And, you know, there was a whole routine when you went to these spas and you would start with drinking the mineral water, then you'd bathe and then you drink more of the mineral water. Then there was a lot of social activities, but a big component was drinking the mineral water. I think in, you also mentioned that Kellogg even had like vegetarian or maybe vegan diets. I mean, things probably people had very strange things people never heard of before. Now it's kind of normal, you know. Yeah, he was an innovator. He was yeah, very, definitely. very weird. You know, a lot of his beliefs were bizarre and out there, but a lot of the stuff that was so weird to them is considered mainstream today. He, When he was in South Florida, he had a, the sanitarium at Miami Springs, he was working on inventing new stuff with soy, which was, I'm sure, very odd for the times. But now, you know, it's hard to find anything without soy in it. Right. And, you know, he invented the cornflake. He, he invented a type of granola because he was trying to introduce more fiber into people's diets because all they ate was meat and potatoes. You know, he was really big in purging your body, put it that <laughs> way in a nice way. And that was a huge thing to him. So any way you could do that, whether it was injecting something from the outside or, you know, dietary supplements from the inside, he was all for. Yeah. Now, I know you visited a few spas that you mentioned in the book, which I really appreciate because um, I know you give a lot of deep history and then you would break away in the book about like a personal encounter, which was which was quite nice. But um, did you have like a favorite? I think Warm Mineral Springs in Northport, Florida is one of the most interesting places I've been in the state because it still attracts people from all over the world. In fact, I guarantee if you go there, you will hear Russian being spoken because there are so many Russians who have moved there in order to take the waters at that spring every single day. And you'll find Russian restaurants and a Russian bakery and all that stuff because of the spring. And at one point they had a little cafe and I remember the cafe served borscht and you go to the little motel that's there and there were all these flags from places in Eastern Europe on their flagpole like Russia and Germany and Poland because people in that part of Europe never kind of broke away from the, the long tradition of the healing waters and taking the waters and they believe very strongly in the power of that spring. It's fascinating. Did you feel healed? I mean, did you feel healthier, rejuvenated? It's honestly, it's hard not to feel this sense of rejuvenation when you jump in a spring, even warm mineral springs, which is not as cold as some of the others, just because of the, the change in temperature. You know, most of the springs around the state are 72 degrees. Whereas warm mineral springs, I believe, is in the 80s. But even then, if you go on a warm day, there's a change in temperature and you feel something. I will say this you felt kind of unusually buoyant in the water. And I honestly believe on some level, we, as human beings, we respond to water. You know, when we see water, there's this uh, concept of the, the blue mind that, you know, if you look at Florida from space and look at all the lights at night, we're all along the coast except for Orlando, which has a lot of lakes, but we are attracted to water. And I do think, being in water and seeing water, they're on a cellular level. Somehow we respond favorably to it. Civilizations have always begun along bodies of water. You know, we we need it to sustain that life. But today we're so obsessed with filtered water. Do we just not trust our natural water or have we ironically poisoned that which gives us life? 
I think a lot of it is simply convenience. I think, you know, you can have your bottle, your, your jug, your vessel for water and fill it up everywhere you go, but it's so much easier just to get a plastic bottle wherever you go. But I also think, you know, I've heard stories of artesian wells all over the state by the side of the road where people would just bring their big jugs and fill it up. And some of them were springs, actually, where people would fill up. They called them demijohns. And that would be their drinking water. But now all those have been tapped by the state because they know that they can't guarantee that the water is healthy. And so many of our springs, pretty much safe to say, all of our springs have been impaired to some degree in our state. And so it is the irony that, you know, for years and years and years, we use this whole idea of Florida as a fountain of youth to bring people down here. And we had this wonderful healing waters, yet we have so many people over utilizing that resource and so many people here, you know, putting fertilizer on their yard and doing things that contribute to the decline of those, that healing water, that it's almost like the myth of the fountain of youth and this whole notion of healing waters has worked so well that our water is now gunky and nasty. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's terrible. And I don't, I don't advocate for those plastic bottles at all. Um, did you just take a drink? I did. <laughs> it's tea, you actually. Have a plastic, oh, okay. Like, you don't have a plastic bottle there, do you? That, that no, would have been no, ironic. Oh, no. that would that, that would ruin my reputation right there. <laughs> um, how big is Florida's bottled water business today? It's it's significant, but in terms. Of all the straws that go into the aquifer, it's just a small portion of that. You know, the the largest portion is people, our residents who use water and they, for you know, they water their lawns and there's there's agriculture and most of the springs are in the northern portion of the state. If you were to look at the I four corridor, most of the springs are north of the I four corridor, and especially kind of that big bend area, the Panhandle around Gainesville. That's where most of the springs are, and there's a lot of agriculture there, and a lot of agriculture moved there relatively recently within the last three or four decades, and they are contributing heavily to the decline of the water because they're sucking a lot of it out, and they're also using fertilizer. When the fertilizer goes down into the ground, it soaks in, into the ground. So in terms of bottled water, it's a small portion, but the, the, the fact of the matter is we're kind of at the max in terms of how much water we can withdraw from the aquifer. So if more people want to take bottled water, or use our springs for bottled water, you know, there's really no more water to give. We have to start looking for other water resources. And 80 or 90 percent, I'd say 90 percent of our drinking water in the state comes from the aquifer. So we're kind of at the point where we have to start looking at surface water, which is water, you know, lakes and reservoirs. And we have to start looking at someday, you know, getting water from the sea and doing desalinization. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, which was my other question, which you've sort of just touched upon that, but how can we preserve our natural springs today? I know you say get in touch with water again to appreciate it and become like stewards of of the water that we have, but how? what else can we be doing? The, one of the things that I, I preach for is to get rid of that, that paradigm of the perfect Florida yard with St. Augustine grass and exotic, you know, palm trees and 
the perfect tropical flowers in that perfect tropical yard and try and get more native plants because one native plants don't require any fertilizer and they don't require watering once they're established and two it invites a whole new level of wildlife into your yard and it's you know i love the tropical flowers and they're beautiful but to me watching butterflies that are native to the state and bees that are very much at risk as well have a habitat in my backyard brings me so much more fulfillment than just looking at a pretty flower that really is not from Florida to begin with. And I, I'm a big proponent of that. And there are more and more native plant nurseries opening up around the state. And it makes a huge, huge difference for, for the state. And there's a new book that came out and the author, his concept is what if we made all our backyards into like a system of natural parks so that, you know, wildlife could go from one little national park to the other through our backyards, which I love that concept. Yeah, that's actually wonderful. What a great idea. I don't want to go without saying how wonderful and how much I enjoyed the visuals in this book. They just pop and they're actually, I mean, I, to the point where I was going to honestly ask you if they're for sale because I have a couple of favorites I would love to make as a poster on my wall. I mean, they're just amazing. And I know that is your artistic flair with the graphic design. Yeah, I'm a big believer that in, in today's society, so many of us, it's such a visual society that, that we really absorb a lot of information from looking at imagery. And so I spent a lot of time looking for pictures. I went to the small archives at museums around the state and tried to find stuff in their collection. I went to Lake Butler, Florida, and Union County, which is the smallest county by population in the entire state, in search of one image. And I didn't even find the image, but they owned the, owned the rights to it. So I had to figure out how I could take this low resolution picture and make it work in the book. So I ended up printing it out, re-photographing it, and making it work. But it was worth it because it was so much fun to go to this tiny little museum in this tiny little county and keep a part of their history alive. And that that kind of research is really what keeps me going. And I love finding the pictures. The picture that's on the front was actually a photograph that I found on eBay that I just loved everything about because, you know, there's these bathers in the front that remind me of that scene in that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, where there's the ladies who are like the sirens who sing to them. And then there's a guy on an ox. And then next to him is a this <laughs> fella in a suit holding a pistol up in the air. It's <laughs> so many interesting details that to me tells a story as much as any words I could use. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely beautiful. My one of my favorite ones is oh, I don't know what page it's on, but it's this woman or this fairy or butterfly with wings and she's holding a a flag sign that says Florida and you can see orange groves and I love that one. Yeah, I I actually worked really hard to get that one in there. That that is originally at some point there was a department of immigration, but it was in the department of agriculture and they started to put out all this propaganda for Florida and they used incredible, beautiful artwork. And that, I love that piece. And to me, it was the perfect metaphor because, you know, like a butterfly, you could change when you came to Florida and have this whole new life. And in the background, there's the sea. I talk about sea bathing. There's the railroad. There's a big hotel. There's all those elements that I talk about in the book in this one illustration. It was just perfect. And I could probably get you a reproduction of that one if you wanted. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. 
All right. Well, thank you, Mr. Kilby. Um, how can someone get more information about you or about this subject? Is there a website to go to or anything? My website's rickkilby.com. I also have a page on Facebook that's Flora's Healing Waters where I, I, I continue to do research. So when I make new discoveries, I love to post them on Facebook. So it, it kind of, I'm trying to get people to really understand this part of Florida history be, that I think is so fascinating. And I talk a lot about the Springs. You can follow me on Twitter at oldflorida.com. But there, it, I'm always a big proponent of flat out just going to a bookstore if it's safe and, and buying my book because uh, there's so many brick and mortar bookstores out there that need your help right now. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for enlightening us on Florida's healing waters and things that we can do to help preserve our springs today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and I love your show and what you're doing and I wish you all the success you could possibly have. Thank you. That was Rick Kilby talking about Florida's healing waters and spreading the word about preserving the natural and historic resources in Florida. We'd like to give a shout out to the Miami Book Fair, who graciously provides us with these award-winning authors. If you'd like to hear more from Rick or any other participating author from the Miami Book Fair, go to miamibookfaironline.com, where all programs are available for streaming. We'll also provide a link from our website at soflowweird.com. Next, we push back the hands of time as we explore several fountains of elixir that promise eternal youth. This is from Charlie Carlson's book, Weird Florida. Florida's Fabled Fountain of Youth, Springs Eternal. No book about Florida's fabled places would be complete without mentioning Ponce de Leon's quest for the Fountain of Youth. We're not talking about St. Augustine's Fountain of Youth here. You know the place, that tourist attraction where after you pay admission, they give you a paper cup so you can drink from the rejuvenating spring. Does anyone ever feel different after drinking from that spring? There are several other springs in Florida claiming to be the real fountain of youth, including two Ponce de Leon Springs. That's right, there are two Ponce de Leon Springs, one north of DeLand in Volusia County and the other just off I-10 in Holmes County. There are also six mineral springs in Safety Harbor that claim to be the mythical fountain. The fountain of youth was not Ponce de Leon's primary objective when he landed in Florida. He was looking to find gold and to claim lands for Spain. That's not to say that he hadn't heard of this spring of rejuvenating water, because stories of such a place had long circulated in the Spanish court. Ponce de Leon was 39 years old when he arrived here. Spanish historian Francisco López de Gamora wrote in his journal that Indians living on the island of Hispaniola had told him about a fountain with healing waters north of Cuba and Haiti. The Indians usually referred to this mythical place as a river, waterfall, or spring. It was the Spanish who added the word fountain. Some of the facts about this miracle water source may have been misinterpreted in the translation from the native tongues to Spanish. Were the Indians simply referring to springs where exploring conquistadors could obtain fresh drinking water? After all, water sustains life. Without water, life can be rather short, and with it, life will certainly be longer. 
Several years ago, Weird Florida interviewed a member of a secret society in St. Augustine who claimed to know the true location of the elusive Fountain of Youth. This society is so secret that even its name cannot be revealed. According to the informant, who said he was 93 years old but looked 40, it was founded prior to 1845, the year Florida gained its statehood. Members of this secret order are sworn to protect the fountain from disclosure. Knowledge about the spring was allegedly passed down through a St. Augustine family of British-Spanish descent. As proof, our anonymous source offered copies of census records of members who had lived beyond 110 years, including Juan Gomez of Panther Key, who drowned at the age of somewhere between 119 and 122. We pointed out to our mysterious source that drinking from the fountain must have done no good since they were all dead. He responded by saying that all had been killed or drowned. None had died of old age. We checked his records again, and he was correct. So even if you do drink from the Fountain of Youth, it won't protect you from getting hit by a tour bus from New Jersey. There is really no evidence that Ponce de Leon ever found the Fountain of Youth. But is it entirely a fable? Florida has more springs than any other state, including Wakula Springs, which means a place of mysterious waters. At 200 feet, Wakula is the deepest spring in the world. The most beautiful is Silver Springs near Ocala. Ancient people living around Silver Springs referred to it as Suali Aha, which vaguely translates as sun-glittering waters. It was considered a sacred place of life-giving water. In 1856, anthropologist Daniel Britton explored Silver Springs and wrote of the early Indians. Spreading the fame of this marvelous fountain to far distant climes and under the stereoscopic power of time and distance came to regard it as life-giving stream whose magic waters washed away the calamities of age and pains of disease round whose shores youths and maidens ever sported young and eternally joyous. Florida springs are indeed life-giving. Not only is the crystal clear water from these springs life-sustaining, but there is an abundance of nutrients necessary for maintaining good health. Here's a partial list of rejuvenating trace nutrients found in Florida springs. Carbonates, boron, chromium, copper, gold, iodine, manganese, nickel, fluoride, sea salt, zinc, sulfates, sulfur, iron, and magnesium. So maybe there is some truth to this Fountain of Youth story? Just look at all the senior citizens living life to its fullest in Florida. When native Floridian Mary Thompson died in July 1996, she was 120 years old and held the honor of being America's oldest person. With evidence like this, maybe Florida really does have a fountain of youth. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. If you want more strange Florida stories, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us by searching at SoFloWeird. And please, join our SoFlo Weirdos Facebook group, where we share Florida's dubious tales every week. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlo Weird Show. 
Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson, Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance, and Lisa Pally, publicist for the Miami Book Fair. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody. <laughs>